Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a behemoth of a new game that dropped, and I'm barely chipping away at the surface. But I can't just not talk about the game that is basically fronted by a main character that is clergy. Noah is an offseer who is literally someone tasked with the responsibility of seeing someone off when they pass on from this life, except something's not right in the world of Xenoblade Chronicles 3. But like with any good manipulation story, none of our characters know it at first. Noah is the first to start to sniff out that something strange is going on. Who exactly is in charge and what does this have to do with our Christian life and who is our master? Let's talk about it. Folks, welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geeks, and gamers come together to talk about faith games and hearing that's a rare doodah right there a million times. Got a rare doodah right here. Rare doodah rare right doodah. here. I am your nerd pastor, Nate, and if you like these weekly deep dives, then be sure to sub, hit that bell, and find out when our next one drops. We're going to be starting this one with our scripture as usual. Our scripture this week is going to be read by a level two member, Yeet the Boots, also known as Danny G. will be sharing with us from the epistle of Romans, chapter 16, verses 15 to 23. As always, we'll be reading from the NRSV UE. That's my preferred translation. It's what I've given them to read. But if you have a translation you prefer, feel free to use that one as well. Romans 16, verses 15 through 23. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means do you not know that. If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which can lead to death, or of obedience, which can lead to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become enslaved to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to even more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what fruit did you then gain from the things of which you are now ashamed of? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the fruit you have leads to sanctification and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. With that, let's start with the usual question. What exactly is Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Well, it's the latest entry to the franchise, and Xenoblade is an ARPG with a precedentially gigantic open world to explore and real-time combat experience as usual. But this time, there are way too many moving parts with a maximum of seven possible party members that gets a little wonky. The story itself takes place after the events of the first and second Chronicles entries, logically, where the world is now seemingly divided by two warring nations of Keeves and Agnes, who are in constant back and forth battle. The wars are fought by engineered soldiers that are given artificially limited lifespans of 10 years, which are referred to as terms in game. It kind of feels like a weird, messed up school. All 10 of these years are to be spent fighting for the colony they were born into for the purpose of filling the respective colonies flame clock. Our two lead protagonists, Noah and Mio, are offseers, which are soldiers equipped with special flutes that allow them to send off the dead in a short funeral ceremony. Now, I'm going to do the best that I can to keep this sermon completely devoid of spoilers, because if you're anything like me, you've barely even started to chip away at this 100-hour-plus gameplay, so you want to experience it for the first time. But 
to avoid spoilers, I do want to say it's clear from the get-go that something isn't quite adding up in this story. It's weird that their lives are limited to 10 years, right? Whenever someone does reach their 10-year lifespan, they essentially have like this send-off where this queen-like figure comes in and takes away their like life force as a reward for surviving 10 years of constant combat. It's just weird, okay? If you do die before that 10-year lifespan is up, that essence instead goes into the mysterious flame clock that each colony has, like a literal war scoreboard. The flame clock is essentially the engine for these things called Feronis, which are kind of like Zoids meets Howl's Moving Castle, although the Moving Castle is also sort of mechanical. Is Howl's Moving Castle a Zoid? Anyways, the Flame Clock literally links the engineered soldiers to itself, combining their lives with the Feronis. So the objective of these wars is a constant buildup of this life energy within a Flame Clock to continue the fires burning of the colony's mech. If the flame goes out, the people of that mech will die. However, as we will discover through playing the game, the way to free the people from their death by the flame clock running out is that someone has to destroy the flame clock. But again, this is weird, right? There's like this weird fine line between service and just blind obedience. How much of that which the soldiers do is to stay alive rather than an actual offering of themselves to the greater cause? That is where the tension with our scripture for today really comes to the forefront. After all, it's Paul himself who is saying that we should become slaves of righteousness rather than slaves of sin. The idea of slavery is always something that's going to raise the hackles of anyone, right? So what can we actually gain from this scathing take on service from Xenoblade? In the passage just before this one in the book of Romans, Paul has just declared that followers of Jesus are not held under the expectations of the former law and prophets. It's no longer about a litigious adherence to good works, but instead a grace beyond understanding given to us as a gift from Jesus. But because of this, Paul still feels the need to explain that we aren't just free to go about sinning willy-nilly because of this freedom from the law. To Paul, then, there is this understanding that slavery to something is unavoidable. There are only two real options at the end of the day. There's a place where you are before knowing the grace of Jesus, and then there's a place where you are where you do not know the grace of Jesus. There's a place where you are a slave to sin and a place where you are not a slave to sin. But this place where you are not doesn't make you free to do whatever you want. You're still held by a certain standard and ideal. Paul calls it righteousness. As a United Methodist, I might prefer the term holiness, but the idea remains mostly the same. For Paul, the state of total freedom doesn't exist. The life of sin or no sin is a true binary. There is only life with Christ or without. If you are with Christ, then you are righteous and sin cannot exist. But if sin is able to exist, then you're not actually in a state of righteousness. Not only is it a binary, it's a defined one without nuance. But what do we do with this problematic terminology? Well, at least for this passage, the usage of the term enslavement is intentional as a clear parallel that people could understand from their brokenness. The truth of the enslavement for Paul in both instances is, ironically, the freedom attached to them. For Paul, enslavement to sin is a freedom from holiness, and vice versa. Enslavement to righteousness or holiness is freedom from sin. So maybe to help us out, it'd be beneficial to define what exactly sin is. Sometimes we get confused and we think of sin as something that we do, but as Methodists, we understand and define sin as a state of being that is separated from God. Once we consider this, it kind of all clicks into place. If sin is a separation from God or a thing that is separating us from God, then it really is a freedom 
from God. It's being free from the holiness present in a relationship with God. But if we are in a relationship with God, then unequivocally we cannot be in sin. It doesn't mean that we cannot sin or give in to some kind of temptation that separates us from sin. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but the very act of being with God is the antithesis of sin being separation. In this conceptualization, sin and holiness aren't things that we do or actions that we take. Instead, they are places of being. They are a state where we find ourselves. Consider again the soldiers from Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Whenever Noah and the others are connected to the flame clock, they are free from the possibilities outside of their colony. They're in a state of enslavement to the flame clock. But when they're free from that mech, they don't enter into rampant freedom. Instead, they are just free from the flame clock. They are enslaved to a new state of being. Their state of being shifts. The very right of freedom is a change of state from one to another. Even the argument that they could just serve themselves is still a form of enslavement to the self. For Paul, just as for these characters and arguably everyone. There is no actual state of freedom from anything. It's all a question of who or what are we choosing to serve and the boundaries that are set from those things that we serve. So with this bizarrely metaphysical concept in mind, what could this possibly mean for us today? What are some like hands-on things that this means? As hard as it may be to wrap our minds around and the semantics of this whole conversation aside, it's helpful to consider whether what we are doing is something that is helping or hurting our relationship with God. That's the reason we put together these weekly nerdy sermons. These are an attempt to discern the best bits of our favorite pieces of media in an effort to use them to build our relationship with God. These are literally an attempt at pursuing the opposite of sin. We are pursuing holiness or righteousness by playing games and watching shows in a way that helps us. So consider alongside us in these videos or in your own playthroughs how the things you're consuming are drawing you closer to God, not farther apart. If we truly must choose between two masters, I personally am always going to choose the one that allows me to pursue playing games in a way that I might be able to love people Better. It's why we have the three rules that we do. Do good, do no harm, strive to grow. So if you need a starting place, if you want to know how can you build your relationship with God with these things, are they doing good? Are they doing no harm? Are you growing through it? And once you answer those questions to yourself, begin to explore the possibilities within the media that we're consuming. At the very least, you're always welcome here at Checkpoint. We'll be doing it from week to week with these nerdy sermon deep dives over on our Discord channel or on Twitch anytime. I'm always happy to answer a question. With that, whether you're Agnian, an engineer soldier from Keys, or an adorable little Nopon, know that you're always welcome here at Checkpoint Church. Folks, thank you so much for watching this video. I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us on these weekly Nerdy Deep Dives. If you want to join us for more than just this, we are live on Twitch almost every single day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and every other Friday. Or we're active 24-7 over on our Discord server. I'll link both of those down below. We'd love to have you around. Quick question for you. Are you enjoying the latest in the Xenoblade series? Are you enjoying Xenoblade Chronicles 3? For me personally, I've had to kind of backseat it because it's just too long. The game's too long. I really like it. I want to enjoy it, but it is, I mean, it, it just feels dense. It feels dense. So convince me down in the chat. Please let me know why you're still playing the game, if you're still playing the game, and encourage me that it's, I don't know, I do have time. Tell me that I have time. You, I don't, I don't have time.
With that, we're gonna end this video the same way we always do with our three things that we really do true about every single one of you out there. Number one, we believe that God loves you, like really, really loves you. Number two, we love you. We want community with you. That's what we're doing here on YouTube, Discord, and Twitch. And number three, we believe that you, yes, you matter. You are a person of sacred worth. The world's a better place. Why? Because you are in it. With that, whether I see you over on our Twitch, on our Discord, or back here, same time, same place for next week's Nerdy Devotional, I look forward to seeing you then. Until next time, bye-bye! Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about Pikmin. <gasps> you want to do what? <laughs> you want to do what, my dude? You want to do what now? This is Pikmin.